authors um, and looking at what God says about that as well. Um, and next weekend, on Saturday the 7th, we're actually going to be having a listening session. So all the campus guys, you're welcome to come. It's going to be at 11 a.m. here at church. And yeah, come come with a friend. We'll, we'll be doing the necessary um, you know, sanitizing, masks and stuff like that. But also, it's going to be a good time. Um, and we're really excited for it. You'll find it on SoundCloud um, as soon as we launch, which will be next Saturday. So, I mean, you guys will be the first people to hear anything. Um, so, yes, really excited for that. Um, and then our next one is all our communication platforms. We use WhatsApp to send out any notifications. So, if you do not have the church... Please, can we, if you don't have the church number, please take out your phone right now. I'm just going to give you a minute to just take, on, take down the number. It's 061. Okay, first, people, please take out your phones. I know them. I know them. So I'm looking at you. <laughs> there it is. 061-452-0877. And then for any other thing, you can find our um, sermons and services on SoundCloud, um, His People Peter Maritzburg, as well as our YouTube channel. So even this service now, you'll find the sermon online. So if you want like a repeat, you can just go there. Um, okay. Then can we stand to do the declaration? Okay, we get to start together. One, two, three. Lord, as we bring our tithes and offerings, we declare from 2 Corinthians 9, verse 7 to 8. Let giving flow from our heart, not from a sense of religious duty. Let it spring up freely from the joy of giving, all because God loves hilarious generosity. Yes. God is more than ready to overwhelm us with every form of grace so that we will have more than enough of everything, every moment and in every way. He will make us overflow with abundance in every good thing we do. Amen. So I'll just pray. Lord, thank you that we um, get to give, Lord. Um, and that, Lord God, it, it comes in different forms and shapes, Lord. And I just pray, Father God, that, you know, as your children give, Lord, in whatever way that they're able to this morning, Lord God, that, Heavenly Father, you bless the place from which it comes, Lord. Thank you, Lord God, that we can live in abundance in you, Lord, and lack for nothing. I pray this over everyone this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So, um, if you're going to be um, giving, please deposit in the church account. Um, but if you have it here, there is a box there at the door. Um, could you just slide in that um, gift in the box? Amen. Um, so I'll just call Pastor Jacques, who's going to be preaching this morning. There we go. Ooh. There we go. Okay, how's that? I'm just going to turn these monitors. 
Maybe turn the mic. Are you all? <laughs> Are you all awake? Is this Mark doing it for you? Not doing it for me. Okay, we we are we're getting there. Um, okay, I'm moving a little bit this way because we have a new video camera, and it's right at the back there, and uh, we're just so delighted that uh, amazing provision. I've, we've been looking at video cameras; they're quite expensive, if you know. And uh, I mean, I went on Sunday night and I looked, and this one from Incredible Connection, marked down from like four grand to one seven nine nine. I was like, wow. So I called on Monday morning. They said it's only an online special, so I ordered and praise God for that. Okay, there we go. Okay, they're telling me to take my mask off because it's blocking this, all this technology, okay? High-tech stuff, this. <laughs> Lord Jesus, I want to thank you for your word, Lord. Lord, I want to thank you that your word brings life, but it also changes lives, Lord. Your word is sharper than any two-edged sword, dividing asunder the soul and the spirit. Lord, it reveals what's inside, shapes, molds. So, Lord, as much as I bring your word, Lord, I submit myself to your word. I come under your word, Lord. Lord, may your word shape me. Lord, may your word shape us, Lord. Lord, to be the community to be the church, to be the authentic representation of who you are. Lord, you called us your body, Lord. Lord, a body is when somebody looks at a body, they see the person. Lord, when people look at us together, they're meant to see you. Lord, that's incredible. That's incredible. And so, Lord, may we as a local body, as a local church, just represent you so well, Lord. Okay, so we can, get the, the, we can get the slides up there, and, uh, uh, and then I'll get going. So my, my message this morning for this message is called Considerate Community, Considerate Community. And let me just say, I'm trying to stand here because in terms of videoing, we want the online guys to see the screen as well. So that's why, um, Zinzi, I won't come your way this morning. Have you noticed Zinzi's moved from that side to this side? Have you noticed that? Did you remember when? <laughs> okay, One, are you ready? <laughs> okay. Considerate community, and our scripture is from Romans 14, 13. Decide never to put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of a brother. And this scripture in Romans 14 is actually forms part of a whole discourse that Paul writes in Romans, starting in verse 1 of chapter 14, and literally going into 15, and he even picks up on this theme in, in chapter 16. And I've entitled it Considerate Community, because folks, I trust that we would be a community that would not intentionally cause our brother or our sister to stumble or to fall. As much as, I want to put a disclaimer, as much as we desire and we pray that we would not cause our brother or sister to stumble, folks, the reality is 
that you and I have clay feet, and at times, the nicest people will offend you, okay? Ask me. I'm married to the nicest person on the planet, and in 26 and three-quarter years, let me tell you, once, maybe twice, <laughs> chuckle, chuckle, has this beautiful girl offended me, okay? By God's grace, we have managed to overcome offenses, and hence we are still married, Amen. So, I'm under no illusion. Uh, we, I can talk about considerate community. Don't cause your brother to stumble. It's not going to happen. Folks, I want to submit to you that sometimes the greatest growth in your life will happen in the process of overcoming and forgiving and repenting to deal with the stuff that has caused you to possibly stumble. So, I, I'm under no illusions. You're going to join this church, and you won't occasionally, even by the nicest people, get offended. But this is the deal. We're not going to intentionally be bombastic and heavy-handed and inconsiderate and insensitive and intentionally offend you, okay? But these things happen. And so I was so, so impacted by a chat I had with Ntokozo. I'm not sure if she's here this morning. And Ntoks, we were chatting. It was actually earlier this year. I don't know how it happened. We spoke about a young lady who had been part of our church. She was involved in our church. Part of, she, was, she was a student. And I haven't, hadn't seen her for a long time. And we got chatting, you know, do you know, because I was in contact with this young lady, where is she, how is she doing, etc. And then Tokozo said something that really, really, let me say, I think shocked me is a good word. Because she said, she remembers the last Sunday that this young lady came to church. I was surprised because I knew she, she, she was still around in Maritzburg, kind of picked that up from social media, but she wasn't coming to church. And Tukosa said, she said, I remember the Sunday where you were speaking, and, and she said, and I, I really don't remember, she said, I mentioned a particular social media post. And I had made some point about the social media post. I can't remember what it was or what the point was. But Ntokozu had seen that same social media post, and that post had been made by this young lady. And she said, as I was talking, now I don't know what I said, but I can only conclude that this lady took it negatively. Because Ntokozu said she looked, when I was talking about that social media post, she looked across at this young lady. And she could see the body language. You know when somebody's like impacted? She could literally, she said she could see the body language that whatever I was saying was impacting her. And she said that was the last Sunday she came to church. Now for me, it's very, I, I can't remember what I said, but it would be very unlikely that I would make a comment like that knowing that the person is sitting here. It was probably, I, and, 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 and I, I can't remember exactly, it was probably that I'd seen a post kind of stuck with me, and I didn't prepare to say that, and just while I was talking, it triggered, and I remembered the post, and I mentioned, said something about it. It wasn't intentional. I, it really was not intentional to offend her, but obviously it did, and I was so, I was so, yeah, I was shocked. I was very disappointed. I mean, a precious, precious, precious young lady, young woman of God, lovely young lady, but I had been inconsiderate. I said in Tukuzo, I said in talks, I wish you had told me this years ago. I would have 
so eagerly gone to this young lady and apologized that whatever I had said had offended her. And again, I'm talking about considerate community. I want to submit to you that considerate community doesn't happen in isolation. We need to help each other because we all have blind spots. We all have blind spots. And I, I remember when I was still a pastor in Cape Town, there was a pastor who came from Manila, from the Philippines, and he came to help us. And I was trying to explain to him the multicultural context of being a pastor in Cape Town. Now, it's very similar to Maritzburg, but I was telling him, for example, about the colored community that you have in Cape Town, very large community, and just kind of the historical differences and the differences in that community. I explained to him about the Afrikaans-speaking community, white Afrikaans community. Then I said, but then you also get white English-speaking community, and they're actually quite different to the Afrikaans community. And I could see his eyes were going like this, because he's just kind of got the colored community that were Afrikaans, but they were different to white Afrikaans. Then I said, then you have a large Isikosa community that are in Cape Town. Then you have a whole lot of foreigners in Cape Town. I mean, literally, we have a French-speaking congregation in Cape Town, etc. There are a lot of foreigners, etc. And after going on like this, this guy, he was so confused. He said, how do you pastor a multicultural church with so many differences? And I was surprised by his comment because in the Philippines, it's a homogeneous. They're all Filipino. In their churches, they're all Filipino. There's no cultural differences between the people. So you don't have the challenges of offending somebody's culture because you totally understand, you totally get their culture. I want to submit to you folks, and, and, and this is what I also spoke to, and I've spoke to leaders with. I don't understand all the cultural nuances of language, of cultural practice, etc. and nor do you understand everything about everybody else in this room. We need each other. We need each other. We all have blind spots. You know, when I made that comment about the social media post, I had no idea that I was literally offending somebody out of the church. Hey, guys, we came to build a church, not to, you know, uh, offend people out of the church. And so considerate community is, is a community project where we want to love people the way God would want to love them. And that means that we are considerate. That means we listen to each other's stories. And we listen with endeavor to understand, not to correct and not to fix necessarily, but just we would endeavor to understand. And, and what I'm amazed at is, let's look at the next scripture. Let's go on to the next slide. And this is going, I remember I said that Romans, that scripture about not, uh, not causing your brother to stumble is found, found later in Romans 14. This is going to the beginning of Romans 14. And, and I was actually surprised when I was reading this and I read through this whole, the, Remember, see scriptures in context. He's talking about not causing your brother to stumble. But he gives some examples of where in Rome, 2,000 years ago, was major areas that people were stumbling. And here, in these two verses, he highlights one of the examples. He says, let's read it together. One person believes he may eat anything, while the weak person eats only vegetables. Verse 3, let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains. And let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats. For God has welcomed him. So let me just try and explain the context here. 
He's talking, remember, about not causing your brother to stumble. In Rome 2,000 years ago, food was a major issue that caused this community of believers, this church, to stumble. And why was that? Remember, they didn't have big fancy church buildings where they met in. The early church, for the first 300 years, didn't have their own buildings because they were so persecuted, they met in homes. Now, folks, going to a person's home means inevitably you're going to be offered something to eat. I don't know. I mean, that may have been 2,000 years ago in Rome. It's still the case here. I mean, somebody will offer you coffee or tea or some water or something to eat at some point. And especially now, remember, if you have traveled, so you're tired, traveling was by walking, you know, yeah, Five minutes, you you know, you come to church if you're on campus. But those days, walking was tiring. You would walk from distances. Inevitably, there was food and fellowship. They would they would come together. Some they would worship, sing some songs. Somebody would share the word. They'd pray for each other, etc. And then they would have meals together. But this meal thing was causing major hassles. Now, why is that? Firstly, remember, there were Gentiles and Jews in these churches. Jewish Christians and Gentile Christians. Now, those people came from vastly different backgrounds, more so than even our South African, you know, Khaled and Isikosa and Isizulu and, you know, all those different backgrounds. These were major backgrounds because of how they worshipped. The, the, the Gentiles had pagan temples where part of their worship was to offer food to the idols. It was a done thing to offer food to the idols. And then the Jews had strict religious practices regarding food, especially meat, all the the kosher practices around meat and how the animal must be slaughtered and how, et cetera, et cetera. And so you come together, there's a Jewish Christian and he does only kosher meat. And then there's some of these Gentiles who they've kind of got some some stuff from the temple, et cetera. And you bring it together and the Jewish guys are freaking out. And the Gentile guys are also freaking out all around this food thing, and it caused major division. So here's this great apostle. I love Romans because the phenomenal doctrines he teaches about grace and faith and works and law, and he, and he lays it all out. But here in these concluding verses, he's building community. He's taking and he's seeing a multicultural community of Jewish believers and Gentile believers coming together, and they are battling, and they're getting offended with their different practices, and he's trying to bring God's truth, and he's trying to, he's building community. He's building considerate community. He's saying, guys, when you come together, let these things not divide you. Let us come together in a considerate way. That's what he's saying. So don't despise one another. Don't pass judgment on one another. And so the whole food thing was, was, was for many of these people, quite religious. Because for a Jewish person, kosher food was part of their religious practice. And, you know, food offered to temples, in, in temples for the Gentiles. And so he's trying to help them find the way and work out how they can stay together. Let's bring it back here. Here we are, 1st of November, 2020. Our church has reopened. Thank you, Amu, for pointing out. Three weeks we've reopened. Our church was closed for more than six months. We couldn't have meetings due to lockdown. We were just online. We're coming together. But what are the conditions we're coming together under? Some people have been like for months, Pastor, 
Where's your faith? Why haven't you opened? I want my church. I want to sing and I want to hear you preach directly to me. Stop doing this online thing. Online doesn't work for me. Pastor, open now. Okay? Then we have other people who says, you are crazy to open. You are so inconsiderate. You are endangering people's lives. Don't you know how dangerous this virus is? Okay? And I hear this in one year. And I hear this in the others here. Oh, you, ye of lack of little faith, why don't you open, etc. Folks, can you see? 2,000 years ago was about food, this food, that food they're fighting about. Folks, do you realize how this thing can divide us? Do you realize that we, how, how judgmental we could be judging those who don't come to church? Where's your faith, you, your faith, you little weakling? I'm, I'm exaggerating. I pray none of that kind of attitude is in you. Or you are so inconsiderate. How can you call yourself a Christian and going to church and endangering other people's lives? Okay? Can you hear that? Can you see it? I'm trying to exaggerate maybe, I hope, in this church, no seeds of division. But I've said to Jane, I said, this reopening could seriously divide us. Folks, it's not meant to. Can we give grace to people who, for whatever reasons, feel coming to church is not appropriate. Maybe they have comorbidities, whatever their reasons. Can we still embrace them and love them and say, you're part of our community, I love you, I'm still going to message you, I'm going to do online with you as much as you are comfortable with, okay? And I'm not going to hug you until, because I don't want to get slapped, okay? So can we do that and not, and, and not let this thing divide us? Is it possible? I don't know, people in Europe, France has just gone into another massive full-scale lockdown, folks. Second wave is hitting Europe harder than the first wave. Who knows where this thing's going to go? And everybody says, well, you know, vaccines, the answer's around the corner. They've been saying that for months, okay? Who knows if we go into a second lockdown? Can we as a community stay joined and knit together through this thing? Paul's writing to these believers and says, don't let your considerations about food divide you. And just if you think it was just about food, a couple of verses on, and I'm not going to read it now, he spoke about religious festivals and religious days, etc. And it's not for food, it's not religious. It's don't let externals divide you and distract you from the main things. Folks, we're a Christ-centered community. We are undivided in our belief in the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We are undivided in the fact that we believe we must be born again. Surrender your life in faith to Jesus Christ and live a life of surrendered faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. That the Word of God is the unadulterated, unalterable Word of God. We submit our lives to it. That God leads us through His Holy Spirit. Folks, we will not compromise on those. But food, and whether you come to church or whether you prefer online, or what political party you prefer, okay? Man, I'm glad I'm not a Christian in America today. I can't wait for Tuesday that these Americans can stop voting and bombarding us with all their crazy political talk. How many of you are with me on that? I don't like American elections. I just try and tune it out. I mean, Steve Mull, he wrote in a brilliant podcast. He said, never before have there been two presidential candidates that, that have been so disliked by the majority of the population. I'm like, how can America get to the place? We nobody likes, it's like, it's bad or worse, or worse or bad, depending if you're blue or red. You know, it's like, do I work, wait for the, the bad guy or the really bad guy? I mean, what a choice, okay? Now, that's how Americans see it. But folks, next year we have elections again. 
municipal elections. I know, some of you are going, oh, no, I know. I'm feeling the same, okay? <laughs> and then, are we going to allow these things to divide us? I'm submitting no. Surely Christ in us, the hope of glory, is a greater, is a greater glue than all this external stuff. And then, how about, have you been following what's happening in France with this whole, these, these, these revenge attacks about, and, and the whole debate about freedom of speech versus, um, uh, sorry, hate speech, etc. Folks, it is, it's major. I mean, if you, people, and, and if you watch the, the protests around the world, it's major. Folks, we cannot allow these things to divide us. But we have got to be considerate. That doesn't mean you be inconsiderate. Amen? And there are absolutely things we disagree, agree to disagree on. Absolutely. But there are some things, some of the things I've mentioned. We are Christ-centered community. If you think something else should be the center of this community, okay, we will probably have to part ways. Because I'm not compromising that we are following Jesus Christ as our Lord and our Savior and nobody else. If you want to follow somebody else, God bless you, but this is not where this community is going, okay? So, let's go on. Just go to the next slide. Considerate community. I, I was so, so impacted by another young lady who came to talk to me. She was also a student. And this was a, also a good few years ago, and we had just discovered the delight of soaking and experiencing the manifest presence of God and feeling His presence in such a tangible way. It was amazing. And we had so many soaking meetings. It was amazing. This young lady came to me at the end of an amazing time of soaking. She was in tears. She couldn't get off her feet. She tried so hard to feel the manifest presence of God. She came to us and said, what is wrong with me? Why doesn't God love I was struck to the heart. Folks, that's many years ago. The, the pain in my pastor's heart of that young lady feeling like because she wasn't feeling the manifest presence of God that God had somehow forsaken her and she wasn't loved was just so painful to me. As a pastor, I'm sorry. You know, the one sheep that is not with a 99, it affects me. I have a pastor's heart. I never knew that she was feeling so, in a room where so many people are having such amazing times with God, she was having the exact opposite, feeling dejected and unloved of God. She wasn't feeling His presence. Back then, I was so, yeah, I don't know what I said, but I said something about just hang in there, just do some soaking some more, you're going to get it, and you're going to have your day. Folks, the sad thing is she, she never did. She stopped coming to church, and, and I didn't know what happened to her. A few years later, she called. She was in the best of spirits. She was down in Durban, and she was having the most horrendous nightmares, really tormenting, demonic nightmares. She didn't know where to go and who to go for prayers. She said, can I come too? I need, I need your prayers. Again, she's so far from God. She didn't know where. She just simply came and sat. For her. Amazing breakthrough. Nightmares went. No more demonic torment in the night. She used to come through to church from Durban for a few weeks. And she stopped. I don't know where she is now. 
But my thing was, this is the thing, where you so emphasize a way of connecting with God, like soaking is the way. It's a way. It is an amazing way for some. I was so surprised one time when I was listening to Bill Johnson preaching about the times when he doesn't feel God's presence. I love the times we do. But when I look in my Bible, the bottom line is a life of surrendered faith. It's got nothing to do with feeling. I love feeling his presence. I absolutely love it. And I love soaking. And Walter was asking me again, when are we going to have soaking? And we're going to have soaking again. Don't worry. But the bottom line is, is your life a life of surrendered faith to the Lord Jesus Christ? You are so loved. You're so in the center of his will that that is the place you belong. Everything else is bells and whistles. Feeling his presence is a bonus. It's not a requirement to go to heaven or to please God or anything. Amen? And this is the thing. Why am I saying this? Sometimes, and, I, and I'm highlighting, I messed up when she came to me in tears and saying, God, I'm not feeling God. What's wrong with me? I totally messed up. And so it was such a delight when she called us a couple of years later and said, Pastor, I don't know where to go for go to for help, but these, these demonic nightmares need to stop. And she came and we prayed and she got healed. Let us not be stumbling blocks in any of our brothers and sisters' lives. You know, this conviction, let's just go on to the next slide. Go to the next slide. There we go. In Acts 15, we have the Jerusalem Council. I tried to type Jerusalem, my spell check just corrected it to Jerusalem, okay? And, and you know, <laughs> you know, and then, you know, it started playing this crazy little tune on my computer. I was like, what's going on here? You know, and then I started, wanted to move, you know. It happened even to me, you know. A white boy who can't dance, I wanted to move, okay? The Jerusalem Council, it's quite amazing, you know, it's, it's this council, the apostles came together. And they learned this new dance. Um, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> it's the Jerusalem Council, but I couldn't help but typing an A at the end. I thought, come on, this is, this is, this is the way to go. The Jerusalem Council was an amazing time because what had happened, remember, Peter had gone in Acts 10 uh, to Cornelius' house, and he's a Gentile, and he sees this vision of the sheep from heaven, and there are all these animals that Jews are not meant to eat. And the Lord says, you know, eat. And the Lord basically moves Peter out of his mindset that, that Jesus' followers could were only meant to be Jews, that it's for everybody. And praise God, hence we are here. And he went, and remember, he preached. And, and while he's preaching, before he finishes preaching, the Holy Spirit falls on everybody there, and they're praying in tongues. And Peter's going on, oh, my goodness, what's going on here? These are Gentiles, and they're getting the Holy Spirit just like we did, and they're praying in tongues. And he's confused because his whole mindset was God just came for us Jews, and the other people, I don't know what he's going to do with them. But, yeah, God is reaching out to Gentiles. The Jerusalem Council, they're coming together, the apostles, and they're saying, we thought this thing is just for Jews, and now the Gentiles are getting saved, filled with the Holy Spirit, praying in tongues. What is going on? What do we do? And the big question was this. As Jews, we've obeyed the law of Moses to the letter all our lives. Do we now expect the, the Gentiles to obey the whole law as we have? And they had this big debate, 
And this is the letter that they gave to Paul and the other apostles to take to the Gentiles to saying, okay, this is what is required. Because some people were saying, you saved, you're praying in tongues now, obey the law, okay? And other people say, no, we don't need to, we're not Jews, etc. This is what they said. For it has seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us. I love that both. Holy Spirit and us to lay on you no greater burden than these requirements, that you abstain from what has been sacrificed to idols and from blood and from what has been strangled and from sexual immorality. Keep yourselves from these. You'll do well. Farewell. Folks, they're summarizing the whole Old Testament for us Gentiles. All those hundreds of laws, etc., is what we've got to do. Now, what's always intrigued me is why these? Why stuff, if you just summarize, it's two categories. It's about eating, about the kind of food you eat, which we've already been looking at, and then about sexual immorality. Why that? And I was reading a commentary recently, and it just, boom, the penny drops for me. You see, it's because of multicultural communities. These, these churches that were being formed in cities all around the world now, in Corinth, you know, in the, in, in, in the province of Galatia, in, um, you know, Philippi, where we have the, these churches being formed. They're multicultural. They're like us. Multicultural in the sense of Gentile from different nations, Greek-speaking and, and et cetera, and the Jews. They were coming together, multicultural. And let me remember, the difference between Jews and Gentiles was huge. They're coming together in these churches, and they eat together, as I've said. And these guys are saying, listen, if, if you as Gentiles carry on with these practices, you are not going to be able to fellowship because this, for a Jewish guy, this would just be too much to swallow. So he's saying, listen, regarding food and practices, can, you just, can we just come on the same page here, okay? Let us not cause, that's what they're saying, let's not cause our food and our external practices, our, our external things, the stuff we want to put on about serving God, let's not them cause us to divide us. Consider community. Consider your Jewish brothers, okay? And don't drink blood in front of them while you're at the, uh, having festivities, etc. Hey, they're going to freak out. Just, you know, don't drink blood with them around. You, you're not going to be able to fellowship, okay? That's what he's saying. And of course, sexual immorality. Because remember, the, the laws regarding sexual purity in the Old Testament were very strict, particularly around um, intermarriage. You know, you couldn't marry, you know, a family member, but to Gentiles, that wasn't a big deal. Plus, you know, sex outside of marriage, you know, for pagan cultures wasn't a big deal. You know, if you want to get married, that's cool. If you don't, you know, just... And for Jewish communities, they were very strict. Sexual purity, you keep yourself until you get married, okay? And the marriage bed is the place for sexual expression and delight, okay? And, and these were two things, food and just how, how uh, the whole question of your sexual morality were two things that were dividing. And again, he's saying, they're saying, these apostles are saying, guys, let's get on the same page. Let's build community. Let's not divide. These things could divide us. Let's get on the same page. This is how we're going forward, Amen. And, and, and I just praise God for this, amen? So wise. And I wanted to just mention, you know, particularly about sexual immorality and et cetera. I mean, we, we had, many years ago, we had an incident where 
there was a Christian leader that, that fell morally. And this, this person confessed their sin publicly, repented of their sin, stepped out of ministry, and it was, it was done from, from our vantage point. Just, it was done well and was done right. There was another guy that I knew that had a different view. He wanted to get this person who'd repented and, and you know, confessed his sin. I want to get them up, and he wanted to take this matter so much further and wanted a lot more exactly what happened and with whom and I don't know, you know, how many times, and I don't know what he wanted. There's a pastor said to this person, he said, no, you will cause more people to stumble by doing this witch hunt and this exposure, etc. This person confessed and repented, stepped out of ministry. No more is required. This guy would not have it. He wanted full exposure, how much, when, where, how, etc. He said, no. And we, we parted ways from that point. And why? My conviction was as a pastor, you're going to cause a lot more people to stumble with your witch hunt on exactly what happened with whom yeah. And I said, no. As a pastor, I will not cause more people to stumble as over this matter. Jen and I often do marriage counseling, premarital counseling. In today's age, the reality is many young couples who come to us for premarital counseling have a background. They've had a couple of boyfriends or girlfriends, depending on their gender, etc., and they have not lived a life of sexual purity. Now they come together, born again Christians, they've been, they've been keeping themselves pure for a number of months or years, etc., and they are, they are wanting to do it right. And they said, Pastor, we want God's blessing, we want to do this right, God's way, etc., and the big question that these couple will always have to discuss is their past. You can't go into marriage and pretend, you know, you're a virgin. If you're not, hey, that's just not, not going to fly, okay? This is the deal we say to couples. Absolutely. If you have, a, have a, a promiscuous sexual past, yes, you need to let your fiancé know. This is the deal. Do not a relationship by oversharing too much gory details about who and what and when and what a what a what a. Do not defile. You will, you will actually destroy your relationship. But hide it? Absolutely not. You've got to say, yes, I have a past. This is what it looks like. These are the headlines. But the details will define and folks, this is such an important principle Jen and I have often operated in. I do not want to cause my brother to stumble. Do you want to walk in secrecy and, um, you know, hide things? No. But sometimes information and stuff can defile. And some people don't get it, and that's fine. Like this young guy who wanted this full exposure and this huge witch hunt. And I said, sorry, I will not goodbye Okay, and I, I haven't had contact with him since. Folks, we're trying to build communities. You have no idea how, how this kind of stuff can rip a community apart. And, and I want to go to, so this is the Jerusalem Council. And after church, at the end of the service, we, our band is going to teach us the Jerusalem. Okay, Zinzi, you ready for that?
you know, we're going to play a video. We've got another video. These guys, you think the band gets together and they do band practice. They actually are our emerging dance team, okay? And soon on, um, what? Uh, idols, we're going to see SA Idols. We're going to see our new Jerusalem dance team. <laughs> put the next slide up for us. Pharisee. I just put that word up. Now, in today's context, you say, you're a Pharisee, he's a Pharisee, she's a Pharisee. What does it mean? You're a hypocrite. Jesus literally called the Pharisees, he called them, you are whitewashed tombs. I think it's Matthew 24 around there. You whitewashed tombs. You think, what is a tomb? Okay, a whitewashed tomb. It looks nice on the outside, but what's inside there? It's smelly bones, okay? It's a decomposing corpse, okay? He's literally saying that's what it's like. On the outside, you look nice, etc. On the inside, mm, it's smelly. It's not nice. And so, but, but the, the, the reality in Jesus' day, he had a lot of conflict and disagreements with the Pharisees. What was it about? And let me just try and explain this to you. So it was the biggest hip and happening spiritual religious thing in the day when Jesus walked the earth, okay? In, in Judea, in Israel in that day, they were the biggest growing spiritual. It was the place to be. If you were zealous for God and you had a heart to serve God, man, you became a Pharisee. That's what it was. But they, they formed these communities. They lived separate uh, it was literally like monastic communities. They lived separate. But to get into these communities was really hard because they didn't just obey the laws as in, you know, in the Old Testament, the religious and ceremonial laws. They had, hundred, they had made hundreds of extra laws that they felt you needed to keep. Like, for example, as a Pharisee, do you know, you couldn't just walk down the road. You literally had to count how many steps you took if you were walking down the road. I don't know, every so many steps, you had to stop and say a prayer. You couldn't just walk. I mean, that's, that's how legalistic they were. And, uh, yeah, you didn't want to walk behind a Pharisee. You know, you're walking, oh, stop, bump into the oak, walk around, okay. But this is the deal. To become a Pharisee, and folks, this is reality. If you were spiritually hungry and zealous for God, that is where you would want to be. Because these guys were really, they seemed to be going. To become a Pharisee was incredibly difficult. You had to basically write these exams, you know. Guys, it's worse than getting your learner's license. Let me tell you, real clear, it's worse than getting your learner's license to become a Pharisee. I know you ladies are thinking, learner's license, I know. Abby's like, another exam, I don't want another exam, I've got enough exams, okay. They had to learn all the laws, and then they would be tested. You know what it's been said? There would be guys walking around with clipboards and hundreds of pages of clipboards, and they would literally watch you like a hawk. How are you doing? They would count your steps when you're walking down the road and check. You do one step too much, cross him off the list, and he doesn't got it what it takes to be a Pharisee. Now, now, now I'm, yeah, and you had to pass these entrance exams, okay? Nothing like a learner's exam, okay? Rachel and Rebecca, okay? But this is the deal. To become one of them, they put so many hoops, so many requirements. The bar was so high to become a Pharisee. It was only for the spiritually elite, the Navy SEAL uh, Christians, if we could, not Christians, I mean, they weren't Christians, uh, Pharisees, who were really tough. Folks, and that's where Jesus clashed with them. Because the reality is to come to Christ, you come as you are. You come with 
your baggage, with your mistakes, with your clay feet, etc. We don't put anything, there are no requirements to come to come as you are. He changes you. He changes your heart. The Bible says he gives you a heart of flesh. He changes you, and then you get rid of your stuff, not the other way around. And this is what I'm saying. Guys, I don't want to create a community where these, all these kind of religious practices and things we put in front of people, you know, you must be able to soak for 17 hours without any water before we will allow you to join his people church. Oh, water's important, okay? You must have endurance, okay? We're not going to do that, folks. You come as you are to Christ. You allow Christ to change you. We're going to come alongside you. We're going to help you. We're going to help you to become more like Jesus. Your desire is that your life, when people look at you, they see Christ in you, just as every one of our desires. We're going to come alongside. We're going to pray with you. We're going to encourage you. Amen? We are not going to put hoops in front of you, etc. Absolutely. Are there requirements for leadership? Definitely. Christian character, and they are, they are biblical, and we will. But that's not for a person who's, who's trying to find God. And folks, do you understand why I say, I don't want us to be a, and I was, and why I'm saying this, Larry Osborne, I just, I didn't even read the book, but I, I saw this book, and it so struck me. He called this book, Accidental Pharisees. Now, Andrew, it, it intrigued me, Accidental Pharisee. You know, today, it's like, don't call me a Pharisee, that's the ultimate insult. He said, you're an accidental Pharisee when in your spirituality, you place your spiritual path as the only way to get to God. And, you know, who knows? God's got us all on different journeys. And it's like, you know, for you to come, you, you must go through this and do this, etc. Folks, God reveals of us all individually. Let's just uh, go to the next slide. What I put up here, and, and I did this last year, and I actually spoke about this, uh, two sermons I spoke about this, living connected to God. The different ways we can live on a daily life and the ways we can encounter God. Every one of us. I want to submit to you, like, for example, I've got somewhere there about through worship and singing. Now, listen, you know, if you've got a voice like Zinzi, hey, encountering God by singing, like, always happens. You know, but then you've got somebody who's got a voice like, <coughs> okay? You know, I don't necessarily experience God's presence when I start singing, okay? All my insecurities rise up about, you know, when I tried out for the choir, etc., and I kind of think, you know, I'm just using an example. There are so many ways that we can live connected to God, but we often want to make our way as the way, you know? You can only experience God if you can sing like Zinzi. No way. Amen? I'm not going to go into this. We've covered this. But I don't want us to be a community of Pharisees where it's like, this is the way. Folks, we are not compromising. A surrendered life of faith is the bottom. That's why I put faith at the top there. A surrendered life of faith is the bottom line. That is where it starts. The rest is amazing, is bonus. Experiencing God's manifest presence is life-changing. It's invigorating. It's, it's phenomenal. Don't he still loves you? He still loves you so deeply. He still wants to use you. He's still, he's still the apple of his eye. Amen. Let's go on. In Matthew, this famous scripture, Jesus said, where the teacher, teacher, a Pharisee, came to him and said, 
which is the greatest commandment in the law. We ask him for, I want one thing. Because there's so many things in the law. And they're trying to catch him up. They're saying one thing. Give me one thing. What I'm always struck by, Jesus didn't give him one thing. He gave him two things. Two things. You see, Jesus doesn't always, and this is the truth, the Lord doesn't always answer the question that you come with. He answers the question that is deep in your heart. I want you to look at, look, look at how he answers questions. And Jesus said, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. The second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Two things that strike me there. Firstly, Jesus gave two. He said these two, not just one. And secondly, he said the second is like it. It is the same in significance and importance. Folks, you love God, all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. You're a bit of a horror with other people. I'm going to submit to you. God is glad to see you. And sometimes, folks, I've experienced this so often. I've experienced the love of God as I love others. I literally feel the compassion of God surging through my soul as I express love and minister love. Sometimes the way he wants you to experience his love is by loving others. And the reality is sometimes the first way and the second way and the hundredth way other people are going to experience his love, his love, because you love them. It's his love. Amen? We've experienced his love. Why? Soaking is about encountering his love, soaking his love, so we can love others. Amen? So that we can be more loving to others. I just love that. Go to the next scripture. This is also Romans 14. Go to the next scripture, next slide. Can you? For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Whoever thus serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. Folks, look at these internals. He said, kingdom of God is about righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. That's the important thing. These externals, how we dress, etc., how we eat, it's not about that. It is about the externals. And if we go to the next slide, and, and this follows on from that one. Do not, for the sake of food, destroy the work of God. In this case, he's talking about food, but any externals, any things that are not the main thing, do not, for the sake of this, destroy the work of God. Everything is indeed clean. But it is wrong for anyone to make another stumble by what he eats. It is good not to eat meat. And it's good also not to drink wine or do anything that causes your brother to stumble. Now, this is the deal. As a mature person, what's he saying here? As a mature person, your life is more about laying your life down than it is doing what you want. In Jesus' world, a leader is more doing what he doesn't want to do than what he really wants to do. Why? He's considering others. Thank you. It says, or do anything that causes your brother to stumble. When we were students at UCT, at UCT there was a culture 
of drinking to get drunk. That's why you drank. It wasn't a social thing where you're just sipping, you know, one glass of wine. The guys would buy a bottle of Tussies and just drink straight out of the bottle, okay? And if you had a beer, it was not one beer. The guys would say, we are drinking until we go down. And literally, you drink until you pass out, okay? Now, that was a, it was a culture of drunkenness. It was, we drink to get drunk. Now, in that culture, as Christian leaders at UCT 30 years ago, Jen and I took the decision that we would not drink alcohol in public. This verse says, if it's good not to eat meat or drink wine, we took the decision that we would, I would not be seen with a beer in my hand in public. Why? Because as a Christian leader, as part of his people church, if people saw me standing with a beer in my hand at a cocktail party on campus, they would think that I condone drunkenness because drinking in that culture was drunkenness. And I would not. I would stand there with my glass of Coke. But then we went on a, on, a, on, a, on a mission trip to Austria. We were meant to take over a church in Austria. And in Europe, going to visit people in their homes, and these are, these are I mean, we visited with some amazing people, some, some really well-to-do businessmen. And we were, we were explained that when you go for a meal there, they will have a bottle of wine on the table, and that wine will be the best wine that they can possibly get to offer you as a guest. That wine in Europe has a much lower alcohol content than in South Africa. In Europe, having a glass of wine with your meal has nothing to do with drunkenness. There, if you get drunk, you are, it's an offense to the people. They drink wine as part of their culture. And the guy said to me, he said, if in that culture, if you say no to a glass of wine that they offer, you'll be offending them because they've probably gone to the shop and gone to look for the nicest, most expensive uh, bottle of wine they could possibly present to the guest. Can you see this thing of, in Cape Town, I don't want to cause people to stumble. I will not stand with a, you know, a can of beer in my hand. In Europe, I go there, totally different culture. There, if I say no to a glass of wine, I'm causing my brothers and sisters to stumble. We can't make hard and fast rules. What is your cultural context? What is your family context? Christmas is coming around the corner. Folks, I want my whole family to come to know the Lord. And I don't want anything I do in eating or drinking to cause my family to stumble. For some of you, and we could, you know, I don't know what the stats are. It'd be interesting to see. For some of you, put up your hand and say, having a glass of wine around the Christmas dinner table, if I didn't, I would cause people to be offended. And you'll have some hands. Other of you saying, having a beer there would cause my brother to stumble. I don't know what your cultural family context is. You know. What is the principle? Do not cause your brother to stumble. Amen. And let's, I think I've got one more slide here. Sid, I think we, we're, on a, we're on, a, on our own stretch here, my man. Let's finish off well. We, we who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak. We have an obligation. Folks, our spiritual community have an obligation to bear. Obligation to bear with the failings of the weak. And not to please ourselves. You may really want that beer. Or 
you may really not like that wine, okay? Usually my case, okay? I will drink the wine, and I'll say, oh, it's so nice, okay? It's lovely wine. What kind is it, okay? Or some cases, you know, love a beer. But no, it's going to cause my beer. It's not about me. It's not about what I want, okay? Why? We are strong, have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good, to build him up. Christ does not please himself. It's quite simple. Considerate community, last slide, please. Decide never with a stumbling block or hindrance Coming to Christ should be no hindrances to people's company on a daily basis. Come as you are. And then allow him to change you. He'll come alongside. You grow to become more like Jesus. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, this community life is sometimes the most delightful, exhilarating Experience, but also sometimes some of the most challenging experience with so many questions. But God, you building authentic community. You building a body that represents you, Jesus. Not just a hand. You're not just building a foot or a leg. You're building a body. Lord, every one of us. Lord, for people who don't know you walking into this community, every one of us needs you. In some of us, they'll see a hand they'll see a heart, and some of us they'll see an eye. We all need you. I pray that we would not be Pharisaic community, Lord, that has all these religious hoops and religious spiritual things that people need to jump through to come to know you. And I pray for maturity, Lord. I pray for mature believers, that we would be mature. Mature people, it's not about us. We consider And Lord, may that be in our heart. Jesus, you left the glory of heaven to come and walk this earth and to reveal the Father to us. God, may we have that heart. May we be able to willingly lay down our preferences, our desires, our wants, even sometimes our needs, Lord, because we consider our brother and our sister. God, build a community that authentically represents you. Through us, Lord, with our failings, with our clay feet, with our, what we are, we surrender all that we are. Build us to be the body that you've called us to be. In Jesus' name. And the people of God said, amen, amen. God bless you. Thank you so much. Amen. And uh, we are, have we stopped recording? Okay, so we will, we will upload the audio, as I said, ASAP.